104.7 The Cave. KKLH, Marshfield, Springfield. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Touchdown, Kansas City! Now, it's time for Ned Talk. Yes, it is. Ned Talk, your local live sports talk show in the studio once again with Ned Reynolds. Ned, how are you on this fine chilly Sunday. Yes, it is, but it, and it's, there's a little moisture outside, but it could be snow and it's not, and that makes it great news. Beautiful day today. The Glimmer Twins are with us today. John Oliver, Josh Roberts, how are you guys doing? I don't know that I glimmer so much. You do. You shine. Do I? You okay. do. You have a gleam to you. Yeah. You have a gleam. Okay. If you say so. And Josh likes to wear like a little bit of sparkles, like Jay Stevens. So, you got to talk up. I can't hear you at all. Oh, I sorry. I, I put glitter on my face. Okay, it's good to know. So we have a lot to unpack before we begin the show. First of all, I guess the best place to start is we lost a baseball legend this week. I mean, a, a legend, a guy that's at the, you know, in the Pantheon at the top of the game. I can remember as a kid, my brother bringing me into the living room and watching as he broke the record. That and you guys being a whole lot younger than I am, my mem- when that word came down on, on Friday, it brought back a flood of memories for me. I remember the first time my dad had taken my brother and me to a Phillies game and to see specifically the Milwaukee Braves because they were really on the rise. This is about 1956, somewhere around there. And I'll not forget it, Bad Henry played in right field that night, had a couple of hits, but he almost on a sacrifice fly, a routine sacrifice fly, almost threw the guy out at home plate. It just resonated with me for some reason. Here's a 21-year-old, maybe even 22 at that time, with this laser throw to home that almost cut down a runner on a routine play. Saw him in college in the Navy all throughout the 60s. And then, as I was telling uh, Josh, I happened to have the great pleasure of being in attendance for the 1973 All-Star Game at Royal Stadium in Kansas City when in mass... The audience, which was probably 40,000, 39, 40,000, stood up as one and gave him a standing ovation. He responded with a tip of the cap and a wave to everybody, and that ovation lasted 45 seconds to a minute. It was really a, a nostalgic, heart-rending moment. He hadn't broken the record yet, but you knew he was going to eventually. And to, th- to see that kind of a reaction for such an iconic player and a player who always always comported himself with the greatest of dignity and poise. I just had nothing, nothing but good thoughts about the bad Henry. That's what they called him in baseball circles, Hammering bad Henry. <laughs> nothing, nothing but respect, just a tremendous individual, and the weight that he had to carry around on his way to breaking that record is was immense. It's amazing that with the outside pressure that he was able to do what he did. John, I'll start with you. Uh, your memories of Hank Aaron. I have a lot. Uh, this one hit me hard. Um, obviously, it's been kind of a domino rally of losing some of the the golden age players, if you will, from baseball. You know, Whitey Ford. Of course, we've had a couple of Cardinal greats. It just seems like they've come in rapid fire. This one hurts the worst to me. Uh, I mean, just a class act in every sense of the word. You look at what he had to deal with that you mentioned, the death threats, having to have a police escort for two years while he was close to the record. He wasn't a big fan of the press, and I, I honestly can say at that time in America, I can't blame him because a lot of things were misstrewed, misquoted, and he was a gentleman about everything when he didn't have to be a gentleman. And I think he's absolutely representative of everything the game should be. Josh? 
Well, for me, uh, being more of a casual baseball fan than all of you guys, I still, I mean, he is like that Mount Rushmore player for the sport. I mean, everybody knows who Hank Aaron was, is. Everybody knows what he accomplished. Everybody knows how transcendent he was even beyond baseball because of his personality and his approachability. And that's what I love about that era of baseball players is they are so humble. You know, these were the guys that built the sport to what it is now. They're the reason that guys get multi-million dollar contracts because they played for, for pennies. But they were great, and they built the sport. And he is one of the top, if not the top. Case in point. When you say play for pennies. What do you suppose his highest salary ever was? Oh, and this is his last year with the Brewers, Milwaukee right. Brewers. What do you suppose it was? I bet it was less than half a million dollars. It was less than half a million. It was $240,000. That, wow. was, that was his highest pay. Today, given the circumstances, he'd be $100 million. Somewhere oh, yeah. around there. Yeah. Over, if over. not more. I mean, if you think Absolutely. about the contract yeah. that A-Rod got that was so, at the time, was the biggest ever, a player like Hank Aaron in this era would have been that player. I was watching an interview with him done, uh, oh, maybe four or five, six years ago, and they played it over the weekend. And the moderator said, what do you consider to be the key to your career? Why were you so successful? And he said, because, number one, I wanted to play baseball. That's number one. His dad had a a team in the rural areas of Alabama, and the only way he could play, (laughs) I love this story, the only way he could play was if he sold the container of Coca-Cola to the crowd. And then by the fifth or sixth inning, if he sold it all, then he could get in. Well, he made doggone sure he was going to sell all of it, got into the game. But he said the key is consistency. And that's what he looks for in younger players. And he said, I'm very sorry that I don't see it in a lot of them. Mm -hmm. When they come up, these are guys with great skill, individuals who can be superstars, but that's how they want to start as superstars. And that isn't how you do it. You've got to pay the dues. You have to learn the game, the subtleties, the fine points of the game. And he made that point very clear. And it hit me that, yes, baseball, but that's every other business as well. You Absolutely. see the kids coming in. Oh, where do I start as president here? Is, is that how we're going right. to do it? Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. We should also mention, too, that, uh, and I don't think we got a chance to mention this last week, Tom, Tommy Lasorda passed away, and mm-hmm. Tommy was a legendary manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers, a uh, great ambassador for the game, um, and just a, an amazing human being. And uh, his, uh, his great nephew, I believe it was, Mike Piazza, wasn't too bad at baseball. Yes, it's, it's, it's Godson. Godson. Godson is one of those. They're both from the same area, Norristown, Pennsylvania, which is just outside Philadelphia. And Lasorda, Lasorda was your quintessential baseball guy yeah <laughs> that he oh, yeah. That nothing else mattered it was baseball and he had the personality to make it work and he did he, he, he was just so finite with what he could do and his decision that didn't always work mm-hmm. but many many times they did and he had that right mix of players <laughs> I do remember an interview he was doing one time with Fernando Valenzuela now somewhere along the line was sort of was partially bilingual partially mm-hmm. I think, but he could get by with some Spanish well, they're doing the interview, and Valenzuela couldn't speak any English at all. And he'd translate and say, well, he's going to throw the curveball or something like that. Well, Valenzuela, at the end of the interview, comes up with this long statement. The sports writer said, what did you say, Tommy? 
We just said that Tom Lasorda is absolutely the greatest manager he's ever <laughs> brought down the house, guys. It brought it down. Don Sutton also passed away this week, another Dodger legend who uh, – talk about a guy that had a consistent baseball career. Oh, my god! You don't look at any particular year in Don Sutton's career and go, wow, those are just staggering numbers. He's He was not – Sandy Koufax or Don Drysdale, and that's not knocking him, but he was a consistently good pitcher for a great number of years for the Los Angeles Dodgers and a couple of other teams, but he's best known as a Dodger. Yeah, mostly Dodgers. He had four other teams for whom he played, but it was mostly the Dodgers. 324 career victories for him, something yep. like uh, 3,700 strikeouts. Now that pales in comparison to Nolan Ryan, of course, but 3,700 yeah. strikeouts over 23 years is a lot of strikeouts. It absolutely He was is. a crafty pitcher, a guy who was the mainstay for some really good mm-hmm. Dodgers teams. Yeah, that's another, and he's only 75 years old. Right. Gained, and this is more for them, the today's generation that probably didn't see him pitch, but he gained his fame as the Atlanta Braves. That's uh, what yeah, I was going to bring up. Crew. Fantastic broadcaster, you know, affectionately known as Sut. I mean, he, he, he definitely made a name for himself in that. And one story about Tommy Lasorda before we move on, I want to let viewers or listeners know. Uh, if you get a chance, go out and listen to one of my favorite all-time interviews with Tommy Lasorda. It was after a game in which uh, Kurt Vivacqua accused him of throwing uh, at a player. And Tommy's very colorful, so if you're easily offended, you might not like some of the language. But I played that for my kids this week, and <laughs> they got a blast out of it because he's not shy about you know talking about the fact that he wouldn't be in a a sub-150 hitter, and if he was still pitching, he would have sent a limo out to get the guy if he was starting that day. So he was, he was just a great individual. Those World Series between uh, Tommy Lasorda and Billy Martin are just classic, classic mm-hmm. World Series. And finally, and I want to say one more thing about Don Sutton. If you, he, As Ned mentioned, he pitched 23 years, 324 wins. You kind of average that out, 15 wins a season. You just chalk Don Sutton down for 15 wins. Mm-hmm. And any, I tell you, almost any rotation today would take that. He'd probably be in every Cy Young conversation that we would be having this point. One more person to mention, Larry King, a huge Dodgers yes. fan, passed away yesterday. So now that we've done the obituary, right. we've got a lot to unpack as far <laughs> as last week's game goes. So let's get to that. Ned, uh, we always start out the show with your Who's Hot in the NFL. It's brought to you by All Service, Air Service, and there's just four teams left. So who's your hottest team? Of those of the teams, I, I still have to go with the Chiefs. I think they're the best team in the NFL, and that, that's a subjective assessment, of course, but their overall record. Let's take that game last week with the Cleveland Browns. You know, it's it's 22 to 17 is the final score. I really feel like while the Browns did have a chance toward the end that it's really deceptive because you look at the numbers and Kansas City had 130 more yards than Cleveland in offense. That's 100, 130 more. They had 438, I think it was, and Cleveland had 308. Well, that's a significant number. They also outrushed the Cleveland Browns whose mainstay in the, on offense was rushing, the, uh-huh. and the Chiefs had more. Kansas City is so diversified with what they can do that that makes them really a solid team. Now, they almost gave it away, and, and I will tell you that they do need to have Mahomes in there at quarterback. He is the difference. I'd love to roll back the tape to last week because I'm the one that looks terribly bad. I was the one I, th- I picked Cleveland to win the game because I thought they had the hot hand. I was concerned about the Chiefs and their offense, and they came. Chiefs came out first three possessions, bang, 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 down the field, bang, 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 down the field, looked 
sharp as ever. Like they just, uh, what we talked about, it's just like they flipped a switch and they looked great. I think the turning point in the second half, because the first half, all Chiefs. Turning point, second half, of course, Mahomes getting hurt, and then Butker missing the field goal. And that's the one aspect of their game that is kind of concerning to me right now. I think the defense has looked outstanding. When we went into talking about last week's game, we talked about two thousand yard or close to thousand yard rushers in the backfield for Cleveland. And the Chiefs are not known for stopping the run. They stopped the run. They did. They stifled that up. And then Butker misses that field goal. And it really, after the interception, and it really gave the Browns a little bit of momentum and life in that game. And to enhance upon that just a little bit more, Joe, is the fact that why is he going for the field goal? Because the Chiefs are, I'm not going to say rendered impotent, but they are much less effective in the red zone. They're really having problems down there. They get inside the 20-yard line, and this team falters. They can't seem to, and I think some of that has to do with the the level of play that Andy Reid calls for Mahomes. His passes are quick strikes, 20 uh, 30 yarders downfield and so forth. Well, you can't do that inside the 20 yard line. You have such a narrow uh, area with which to work that it perhaps has a negative effect on them. They've got to get that straightened out. And of course, they have in 14 victories. Well, actually, 15 victories now. But the fact of the matter remains you can't continue to just rely on Butker to kick field goals. Well, you've got that 12th man there, too, the, the in line that keeps, the, keeps you from scoring. John, what did you take away from the game last week? Uh, a lot of things. You know, as as you mentioned and Ned mentioned, they came out like a house of fire on offense. Mahomes yep. looked sharp. Daryl Williams had 78 yards rushing. You know, it's next man up in that situation with Edwards Hilaire and Bell out. Kelsey had over 100 yards, had a touchdown catch. Matthew had his usual interception. Tyreek Hill was over 100 yards. Just all out. I will say my biggest takeaway from that, I haven't had my breath knocked out of me in a long time during a football game. But the call at the end of the game with the hard count where everybody in the stadium and everybody watching, including me, thought they were trying to draw the Browns offside to have Henny make that throw. And then again, I can't stress how smart and how well coached these players are to have Tyreek Hill just lay down after he caught it. Game over. I want to talk about that. Just saving that. You blew that. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. Josh, what's your thoughts on the game? Well, I, there's not really much more to say. I will say to to your point, uh, Ned, I think that the red zone issues are partly because of the the chaos in their in the Chiefs' backfield with Edwards mm-hmm. Hilaire being hurt, Le'Veon Bell being ineffective. Uh, Williams did step up, which was great. He had a great game, but I think that's part of their problem because they there's not as much of a threat for them to run it in, mm-hmm. so teams are playing the pass more. And that's what's kind of jamming up that area. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, the, the the Chiefs, like we've said, looked great at the beginning and then kind of held on for the win, and we go from here. <laughs> All right. I'll, I, I do want to talk about this because it was it just – I looked at my wife. We were watching it, and I said, balls. Yeah. Because that's what Andy Reid had to call that play. Oh, yeah. And I, I – what do you think, Ned? I, well, I, I so want to hear so from you. Uh, that uh, Romo, who's doing the color, 
Well, what, what's going to happen to? Them? Well, there's just no way they're going to snap this ball. There's yep. no way <laughs> they're not going to throw it. All they're not the going to throw time, it. The, the count is going. No way. He, they're just waiting. They're trying to draw them offside. Then they're going to call to about blah, 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 blah. They are playing it. How about that? Uh, <laughs> I thought it was a very a gutsy call, uh, considering the ramifications if it had not worked. Right. But you take your chances. The Chiefs have done that. They came out on the right side and. And it all worked out for them. They get the win out of it. Again, I think, in my opinion, the score is deceptively close. It yep. could have been a whole lot more. Well, I, it's like I hate that. I think the turning point was really the Butker missed field goal because they mm-hmm. he just clanked that one, and then all of a sudden they were back in the game. Uh, but I, then that's again the part of the game that really concerns me about that. We already heard from John, his breath taken away from him. Josh, what did you think when Andy Reid made that call? Oh, I was completely shocked because, I mean, I, <laughs> I thought I thought they were going to do the same thing, run the clock down, call a timeout or whatever, and then punt it or, or whatever. But, yeah, I was shocked. And, you know, I feel like in most, in most sports, whoever turns out to be the champion, they have to get lucky a couple of times usually. They have to do a couple of things like that where that are totally unexpected, catch their opponent off guard. That's what it takes to 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 get over those those adverse moments. And I yeah, it was it was insane that they did it, but it worked and so great. That's what got them, you know, where they are. John, we've uh, I think one of the biggest knocks on Andy Reid in his coaching career is he plays it safe, takes the foot off the gas. He uh he put the hammer down. I've said it on this show. I believe I had some criticism of him because I thought he played it too safe. I'll eat my words on that one. That was gutsy. And, you know, I hope it turns out that we're talking about them going to the Super Bowl because Super Bowl teams, you can always look back on a moment. And I think that may be the moment that motivates them from this point forward. Ned, were you, let me just ask you, were you surprised at the call? Yes, I was. I was surprised. I really thought there's no no way. They'll just try to draw him off and then punt the ball. I really thought that's exactly oh, yeah. what would happen because he does have a tendency to play it safe. <laughs> Tell you another play, too, that surprised me was Henny when he scrambled and dived. And it is, oh, yeah. it is dived yes. and not dove as some of the <laughs> – anyway, that's beside the point. Head first. Yeah. What are you doing, Henny? Yeah. Good Lord. You already got the one quarterback out with a concussion. <laughs> now what are you doing going, oh, my gosh. Anyway. That, anyway. that was the play before. That was yeah. the play and that was a, And that was the moment I looked at this team and said, yeah. I mean, I felt like they were the best team in the NFL, but then I, I looked at it and said, this is a team mm-hmm. that wants to win. They're not trying to keep from losing. They're trying to win the game. Why do we play the game? To win why do we play the game? What's Coach Herm saying? That's say? Herm Edwards to right. win the game. And I'm going to tell you what, guys, now this again, and this is uh, an opinion generated from the season they've had. That's precisely how the Buffalo Bills are going to play today as yes, well. They're is. not coming in afraid no. to lose. They are coming in to win this game. It, they may end up losing 60-10 to 10 or something. I think that's unlikely. But they're going to play this game all out, and that'll be tough. Yes. On the other side of the coin right now, it's 14-10, Tampa Bay over Green Bay. There's about a minute left in the second quarter and about 40 minutes away from pregame show right here on 104.7 The Cave. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. 
a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. We are sitting here watching the Tampa Bay-Green Bay game. 13 seconds left in the second quarter. Fourth and three, Tom Brady back out on the field. Green Bay has just called a timeout. We'll try to keep you up to date on that. Let's talk about what's brewing in college football. Brought to you by Arctic Food Equipment. Not a lot brewing, Ned, but there's several players that have declared for the draft. Oh, contraire. Oh, there is contraire. brewing, as a matter of fact, because we are less than a month away from the opening of the FCS. That's true. That's season. very true. Sorry, forgot about that. D2 and, uh, well, 1AA and D2 are going to play, not all, but many of them. And the schedule for Missouri State University has changed. Uh, all of a sudden, from nowhere, Indiana State University decides to opt out from spring football. Mm. I didn't know they had that option, but evidently they do. So they've decided not to play. Well, that throws the schedule into a jumble. So there's a completion. Yeah, why did they Why did they go back out there to do that? Well, I think they called timeout again. Oh, they did. Six seconds left. So it gets them a little closer. Now they'll go for a field goal. Oh, what we're doing, folks, is giving you a little play-by-play of the game. You're probably already watching if you're listening to right. this one. Anyway, the Bears were to have gone to Grand Forks, North Dakota, to open the season on February 20th. That will now not be the case. The season will open on February 20th, but the Bears will open here in town at Plaster Sports Complex against Illinois State. And all the games that the Bears have on this rescheduling, all of them are Saturday afternoons. Okay. Every one of them. Okay. So that uh, that's the home games I'm talking about. And they've also added two new teams on there, one being Youngstown State, they weren't going to play them, and Western Illinois. And they go to Macomb. I think Youngstown comes here. But the next game, their next home game after February 20th is March the 6th, and that's the eight-time national champs coming in here, North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. I'm anxious to see for two reasons – how North Dakota State plays in the spring. There's Here we go. Hail Mary pass. He has and he his got it. Touchdown. touchdown, Tampa Bay. I've got to give that. you credit here. Josh made that call. He said they're going to score wow. at the end of the half. Yep, they did. And they're going to go up, it looks like, 21-10 20, at halftime. One second left. Boy, that's now, you talk about a gutsy call. There's yeah, one right there. Call. And only Tom Brady could come up with that. Who made that call, though, Bruce Arians or Tom Brady? No, I bet Tom Brady did. (laughs) He knew he he could do it. And he has his defender Uh, beaten big time, and there's the catch. Kyle Motes, we want tickets to uh, Missouri State games, by the (laughs) way. He doesn't listen to the show. He asked Ned when we ran into him one day, what's your show about? Ned said, sex. You know what? What do you think it's about? What do you think it's about? That did happen, didn't it? Yeah, it did. <laughs> the, uh, but, but the football season does open, and, and I believe it's four games we have here. It's eight-game schedule altogether. And that'll be a lot, of, a lot of fun. I'm anxious to see, in North Dakota State's case, how they play in the spring, and number two, how they play without their All-America quarterback, who has declared for the NFL draft. The answer to your other question, Joe, is yes. There are a number of players who have declared, but not as many as I thought there would be. And that probably is because the NCAA has given that waiver for a lot of players to come back and compete again as college players. Mm-hmm. So the the whole scheme of things is working out in the favor of college football, and I do like that. Uh, I think it's uh, I'm, I'm a big college football fan. I love the game. Me too. Looks like Bruce Arians is going to kiss Tom Brady. <laughs> if you're number 20, I don't know who that is for Green Bay. How do you let a guy beat you like that? That you're, you should be on the you should be standing on the end zone, on the line, 
not letting he, anybody get behind you, but yet what, what's he do? He lets a guy get behind you. You know, Joe, I suspect that question, that very question will be asked him in about 35 <laughs> seconds here in the locker room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. how, did, how did that happen? I want to pass along some other information to you. We're a, a group of stations called Midwest Family Broadcasting, and there's four stations within our group. We're locally owned. We're local folks all around here. And I'm proud to announce that one of our sister stations, 105.1 The Bull, will be your brand new home for the St. Louis Cardinals in the upcoming season. That's pretty exciting news. That's great news. It is great news. Great news. The Cardinals are such a big attraction, and I, I don't know what the broadcasting schedule is going to be yet, but you know, all, almost all their spring training games are mm-hmm. broadcast as well. And I know the broadcasters, John Rooney's an old, long-time buddy. They do a great job. It's a great presentation. This could be Mike Shannon's last year. There's some hint that it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But it's an iconic crew and one that you'll uh, very much enjoy listening to. Yes. I'm really excited to uh, to hear that. Let's turn the our attention away from last week's game, talk a little bit about this week's game. And, mm-hmm. Ned, you alluded to it earlier. The hot team, one of the hottest teams in the NFL, the second half of the season, Buffalo Bills, mm-hmm. media darlings. What do you think we're going to see from them today? They're going all out. And I look for Josh Allen to have a he, – he's going to have a, or try to have anyway a wide open game. He's going to try to throw on Kansas City. That's where the Chiefs probably have a bit of an Achilles heel. Uh, Tyran Matthew has had a big season. He's had six picks. He had one last week. Mm-hmm. That whole defensive backfield is pretty good, but they aren't great. And they can be beaten, and I think that's where the attempt is going to come from the Buffalo Bills. The Bills, interestingly enough, are the Bills are billing, and I'm using that term as a, uh, an advertising technique, billing themselves as a top offensive team. Mm-hmm. But you look at their games here in the playoffs, 27 against the Indianapolis Colts, 27-24, to 24, and 17-3 yeah. last week against the Baltimore Ravens. Well, that's not... High-powered offense at all. And in the Indianapolis Colts game, they were lucky to get by. During the course of the season, they've had some games in the 30s, maybe one or two in the 40s and all that. It's a good offense. I think it's been a little overhyped, though. I, I wouldn't call them great. And they are nowhere near, nowhere near in the same ballpark as the Chiefs as far as their offense is concerned. I look for the Chiefs to be fairly dominant this afternoon. What do you think, John? Uh, I agree with a lot of what Ned said. I'm a big Jake Allen fan. I think he is one of the quarterbacks of the future. I think you're looking at two men and he and Patrick Mahomes that will make up the Sterling two duo for the future of quarterbacks in the NFL. Not to take anything away from Justin Herbert or you know any of the other younger quarterbacks, but I think these two are the guys. Now, to Ned's point... Allen passed for just over 200 yards last week against the Ravens. That was not an offensive game, and in fact, it could have been a lot closer had, I believe his name's Teron Johnson, not picked off a pass in the end zone and taken it 101 yards for, to me, what was the deciding score. They had been up, I think, 13 to 10 at that point. Josh, what do you look for out of Buffalo th- today? Well, I was looking uh, looking back at what they're, uh, at the end of the season, how they were playing, and then how they've played into the playoffs. They're playing hot. They're one of those teams that is on a roll. They're, they are... They've got a lot of momentum going. Yeah, they they didn't put up a lot of points, but to beat the Ravens, to hold the Ravens to three points is pretty impressive. And I think a lot of people are still underestimating their offensive ability. Mm -hmm. So I I expect this to be a fairly close game. 
and that it worries me a little bit. I still think the Chiefs are going to win, but I think I think Buffalo is going to give them all that they can handle. Andy Reid never underestimates anybody. No. That's... No, he's always said they're a good team. You hear his press conferences. <laughs> it's not so much coach speak that Andy Reid gives. It's Andy Reid speak because he he's very respectful of everybody he plays. Mm-hmm. It's true. You know, he could be playing. You know, he could be playing a, a high school football team. That's sure. good. That's a good. Grunt. Bunch of people over there are going to give us a good game today. So yep. you know, <laughs> I, I, I've always been curious as to what happens in the closed sessions when the media is not around there. What's he say about the what the opposition? I have. I hearken back to 1988, I think it was. Notre Dame was playing West Virginia in the, I think it was the Peach Bowl, and it was quintessential to the uh, national championship. That's the, that was the comparison being made because these were two undefeated teams. Well, to the press, Lou Holtz is saying, hey, Mountaineers, they're very, very good. It's going to be a tough game, blah, 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 and so forth and so on. Coach speak. Somehow, someway, some some media guy got a camera into one of their private practice sessions. Lou <laughs> Holtz stopped the practice session. He said, boys, this West Virginia team's living the dream. They ain't anywhere near as good as us. And on and on. I'm, and it came back. Now, Notre Dame won it big yeah, time, won the right. game because they were substantially better. But he had to apologize for his I, remarks. <laughs> I don't think Andy Reid. I think what you get with Andy Reid, what you hear is what you probably he's mm-hmm. saying behind the scenes, too. He just seems like a very genuine person as far as that goes. I agree with that. Let's you talk- suppose when the Philadelphia Eagles were uh, four and was a four and twelve or whatever their final record was that year, he said, "We really were a pretty good team this year." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he probably did think that they were. I mean, I don't think any coach goes in and thinks, you know, thinks deep inside themselves, "I oh, always stink." But you know, I mm-hmm. think that they probably think, "I've got good talent here. We're just for some reason, for whatever reason, circumstances." Yeah. Don't go your way. We talked about that with several teams this year. I think we talked about that with Philadelphia this year. Mm-hmm. The, and, just some and, games. Yeah. They, the Philadelphia team had the wrong mix of players, and their offensive line was not giving Carson Wentz any time at all. That's where they need to make their improvement. Right. And I'm wondering if this new guy, uh, Sirianni, won't do something about that. He's former Chiefs assistant coach from yeah. several years ago. Whether or not he has that in his concept, and it's obvious that's where the improvement needs to come. Wentz is not a bad quarterback, is different from Jalen Hurts, but I do look for a battle between those two. But I did notice that Wentz's comments now where he wanted to leave the Eagles, uh, changed my mind a little bit. (laughs) All right. I want to talk defense when we get back, and I also want to talk conspiracy theories. It's Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. You're listening to Ned Talk. On 104.7, The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7, The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. About 20 minutes away from the start of the pregame. Now let's explain all this to you, and, and hopefully everybody will take notes because it is a little difficult to explain, but... The Chiefs radio network outside of Kansas City does not have the rights to broadcast the game. So we have to carry, to bring the game to you on the radio, the Westwood One broadcast. And we always get criticism over that because whoever does the color, I don't—I forget who does the color for Westwood One, hates the Chiefs. He does. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he spent all last, uh, I think, AFC Championship when the Chiefs were up significantly mathematically figuring out 
like the second half, how whoever they were playing could come back and win the game when it just wasn't possible. But we're sorry. We want to bring you that game. We have to carry it that way. So what we're going to do is we'll bring you the Chiefs pregame show with Mitch Holtis, Dan Israel, Art Haynes. All that will be coming up in about 19 minutes. We'll carry the Westwood One broadcast. Don't, don't get upset with us. We have to do that. And then... We will be back with the Chiefs post-game show. It's all right here on 104.7 The Cave. So there you go. That's the rundown. That's how it all works. Let's uh, check in with John. He's going to tell us about the injury report. It's brought to you by Morrison, Webster, and Carlton. It's not a big report this time. I will say, you know, it, it, all bets are off as far as guys who are questionable at this point. So I expect most, if not all, of these gentlemen to play. The Bills have Gabriel Davis, their wide receiver, is questionable, and Vernon Butler, their defensive tackle, is questionable. On the Chiefs' side, Willie Gay, the linebacker, has been ruled out. That's the only definite that's not going to play. Rashad Fenton is questionable. Sammy Watkins is questionable. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is questionable. And again, Le'Veon Bell is questionable. I would love to see Sammy Watkins back. He's my too. he's he's probably my favorite just big play guy for the Chiefs because he's the guy that when you got Kelsey covered, when you, you got it nailed down, you got Kelsey, you got Tyreek Hill, he's the guy that's left open, and he's solid. He's rock solid. He's a smart player. I think we'd be talking about him in a different light without the injury history there. I mean, he started with the Bills, the Rams, and then now with the Chiefs, and he's always been so, so smart as far as his routes go. I think his body's just kind of seen some some toil, He's but still can make the big plays. Are, are yes. You, how are you feeling about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being back? I think they're taking a chance and putting him back there. Now the medical people are not going to clear him unless they feel confident that he's all right. But that was a that high ankle sprain that he got is a significant injury from which you do not immediately recover. Now that happened in the penultimate game of the season, so he was off for the final game. Wouldn't have played anyway. And then the second week, of course, they were idle, didn't play last week. So he's had three weeks to recover, evidently, almost a month to recover. And evidently, they feel like he is capable of playing. If he starts, I'd be surprised. But he'll probably see quite a bit of action uh, if he's able to maintain any kind of speed out there on the field. And I think he probably will be. I must admit to you, I don't know what the weather conditions are up in Kansas City. I do know what they are in Green Bay, and it, boy, it's snowing. It is a blizzard up there, or at least that's what the forecaster said yeah. was going to happen. <laughs> but what do you know about that? It's sunny and clear. <laughs> what do you know, guys? <laughs> oh, I, oh, hell, boys. Just uh, throw some mud on it, tape it up. You're good right. to go. you got to be tougher than a pine knot. Yeah, exactly. Let's uh, get our fantasy report. John does that, and it's brought to you by Fazoli's. Definitely. Uh, So as far as the fantasy report goes, obviously fantasy football concluded a couple of weeks ago. But what I'd like to focus on is, and I think what you'll probably see is the one and two picks next year in your fantasy drafts when you get ready for those is really who it comes down to for the MVP chase this year. I think there's two clear candidates. Obviously, Derrick Henry, the former Alabama running back. Roll Tide. 2,027 yards on the ground, 17 touchdowns, another incredible season for him. You do have to worry about decline with running backs and things. I don't think you need to worry about that next year. I don't think it's going to be that immediate with Derrick Henry. How old is he? Uh, That's a good question. I think he's 28. Yeah, I'd say late 20s. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then the other one that will either go one or two in your leagues, who to me is the other person in the MVP conversation, and please don't think I'm discounting Patrick Mahomes. He's a fantastic player. But this year you have to give the nod to Mr. Aaron Rodgers. 4,299 yards through the air, which is only in the top ten. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, my gosh. That's a fumble recovery for Tampa Bay. Wow, he oh, oh that was yeah, a that was a hit. Audience, uh, just if you don't or are not watching the game, Green Bay just threw a little flare pass from Rodgers. And I don't know who the receiver was, but he got belted so hard the ball flew off into the stratosphere, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers recovered it. Buccaneers Boom. are already in the lead, twenty to ten. They did not score on the play, but they do did get it within the uh, ten yard line. So yeah. it's first and goal to go for Tampa Bay. That is looking very bad for Green Bay. Yeah, first time ever. This has been a bit, this is what I wanted to get into. The two things I wanted to talk about before we wrap up the show today, and the, and that just gives us a good segue here. Mm-hmm. Sorry, John, oh. you were doing your fantasy report. No, 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 no. It's good. Uh, I, tinfoil hat here, and I think there's two of us that are <laughs> they're a little tinfoil hatty, and then there's two of us that are not tinfoil hatty because people have talked about it. I mean, since the beginning of the season. Well, if Tampa Bay were to go to the Super Bowl, it'd be the first time that a team. From that town played in the Super Bowl. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? And look, here we are. It's just about to happen. We're 20 minutes away from this happening. Now, Ned's got that smile on his face. You 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 fall on the other side of that. You're like, oh, it's a game. You know, It is a game, and anything can happen. And what you're doing is discounting Tampa Bay as being a good football team. They are. Yeah, they're not. They already have beaten the <laughs> Packers once this year, 38-10, to 10, and they did that in Tampa. Now, I would I would almost lean, and I'm using almost in uppercase letters, <laughs> almost lean toward your conspiratorial theory, were they to allow a full house into the ballpark. Yes. Now, Super Bowl, you're going to have a full house anyway. Right. But it would certainly be a whole lot more pro-Tampa Bay if that were the case. But it won't be. It'll be a limited crowd. I don't know what they're limiting it to, maybe 25% or something like that. But, no, I, Joe, in, in professional sports, in any sport, and I can't say, and I'm not saying that it can't happen, but to have, to have a jaundiced eye cast on the legality of what's going on, uh, to have suspicion the game might be compromised for certain circumstances, I cannot buy it. Josh, help me out here. Money talks. <laughs> <laughs> in everything in this country. And it's going to be so exciting for Tom Brady to reach the Super Bowl again without it having to be under the the shadow of Bill Belichick. And it'd be the it'd be the only accomplishment he doesn't have playing a Super Bowl in his home stadium. All right, John, you're going to talk us off the roof with this. One. I'm going to try come, to talk you off the come roof. Come on, come on, no conspiracy. So, <laughs> I think throughout sports history, there has been this inclination to say the fix is in. Only in football. Oh no, basketball, professional, sports. yeah, professional. Oh yeah, I'm so just kidding. I'm go- I'm going to make a comparison between two people that I see this frequently right now: LeBron James and Tom Brady. I know both of you fall on the court. No pun intended. That you don't really like either one of them either. I'll say this, as unbiased and as not a super fan of either one of them, I know this is going to be painful for some of our viewing audience to hear. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. LeBron James has an argument that he is the greatest player in the history of the NBA. Nope. I'm not saying he is, but there's an argument to be made there. 
Neither one of these gentlemen. Oh, Tampa Bay just scored. Uh, and nobody was, covering, nobody was covering. Nobody was. See, the conspiracy is uh, playing oh out my here. Gosh. Nobody, last two touchdowns, nobody Wide covered. Open. Look Wide at open. this play. So, Come on. Needless to say, I think leadership plays a strong role in these guys always ending up in the position they are. Watch this. Why? I mean, right. I mean, obviously but, you guys but can't Joe, watch. Joe, watch what he Look. did. It was a play-action pass. It drew the linebacker in. It freed the tight end but when they went to play for the run. And the tight end is free. That happens all the time. That's that's a key. A, a how do you basic let that? You, yeah. How do you let that exciting. happen though? That close to the goal line, somebody's got to <laughs> not great. freely let a guy score a touchdown like that unless the fix is in. The fix. Joe, <laughs> do you hear me? Joe, it's all Joe. it's all fixed. It's all fixed. It's all it's a script's already been written. It, it was written. It was written months ago. <laughs> it was written months ago. It's a screenplay by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. It's sitting in Roger Goodell's office right now, and it's just waiting to be played out. Was yeah. the Illuminati involved in the writing of oh, said script? I'm not Charlie Daniels, for God's sake. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a few minutes to wrap up this craziness. It's Ned Talk on 104.7 The Game. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. During the commercial break, we swung John back to our side. So it's now three to one in the conspiracy theory column now. What movie are you watching? The one where you just admitted that they could (laughs) control the game with penalties. I said that would be the most likely sport that would be able to control. I'll take that as tacit approval to my my opinion. Yep. Ned was asking earlier about the weather in Kansas City. Right now, cloudy and 40, looking at 41 for a high this afternoon. This is KC, by the way. And rain. And rain. And that could affect the game plan as far as what Buffalo would like to do because they want to throw in the Chiefs. And we were talking about that earlier. Ned, one of the things I wanted to discuss was one of the most maligned part of the Kansas City Chiefs approach or team this season has been the defense. But just like last year, It seems like they got past the halfway point of the season and the players started to buy into Spagnola a little more. And that defense has been really actually very good. They've come on. They're a whole lot more cohesive than they had been earlier. Of course, they've had the injuries in the defensive backfield, which has taken uh, some of the key individuals. Uh, Tyran Matthew was out for maybe a game or two with an injury and now I see they have Bashad Breeland coming back after he was in concussion syndrome. So they've had key injuries on the defense. But defensively, this team's played pretty well. They, they virtually shut down the Cleveland Browns last week, had them completely stymied. Now that did come back to haunt them toward the end, but I really don't feel like it was the defense that was faltering. It's just one of those things where a team began to move the ball pretty well. But the fact remains that Kansas City's defense is pretty good. Now, they're going to face a much more wide-open offense this time with the Buffalo Bills. It's a defense that is going to be put to the test by Buffalo's passing game mostly. I think that's what Buffalo's going to try to do. I doubt that they run the ball a whole lot. They'll try to exploit whatever Kansas City has, the weaknesses on defense. But that's where KC is really going to have to come to the fore with their linebackers perhaps not selling out on blitzes on every play. They will on some, but Josh Allen's fairly mobile. He's not as mobile as Mahomes, but he's still fairly mobile nonetheless. And that could come back to haunt them because Allen's a pretty good runner too. Yeah, he's a very good runner. That's part of their attack is running. I think you'll see a combination of both, but more aerial game than, than running for Buffalo today. Could you see a spy being on Josh Allen today? I don't think it's to Kansas City's benefit no. to uh, to spy on on the guy. I think 
they they don't really need that to happen. They're uh, they're good enough and diversified enough to be able to stop them uh, with the regular level of defense. Does Butker concern you? Yes, he does. He has been inconsistent. Now, most of the time, he makes his kicks. Of yes. course, he's a professional kicker, but he has been missing in key moments. And while he is a veteran of Super Bowl competition, still, I hope the pressure isn't what it is for some of these other younger players. I doubt that it is for him. He just hasn't been on uh, on target. Green uh, Bay just scored. Yeah, and I, I predicted that if they scored on that drive, which they've done, 28-17 is hardly what you'd call an insurmountable margin. There is very little secondary play in this game. Right. <laughs> right. Everybody seems to be wide open at this point. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up the show with our picks. Ned, of course, we always start with you. What are you, uh, what are you going with today? I think Kansas City wins it. I think it'll be a pretty good football game, but i like the Chiefs to win 34-23. to What do you think, John? I'm going to also pick the Chiefs, and I think it will also be a close game. I'm going to go with a nail-biter. I think it's going to be 30-27. Josh. I think it's going to be a squeaker as well. It may be a one-point game. Let's say 33-32. But Uh, but Chiefs. Chiefs, yeah. I'm going to go with the old man because uh, I went against him last week, and (laughs) and you were 100% right. He always says to me, when am I not right? Well, most of the time. (laughs) But um, you were 100% right last week, so I'm going to stick with you this week. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. 31 to 14, and I think the score won't be that close. I think it, it'll be like late in the game and 24 7, and then hmm, they'll score, and then Kansas City will score and put it away. That's what I think. Nice. Wouldn't be at all surprised. That, that put, uh, fits into the scenario that I see happening to uh, Buffalo. Buffalo will make a challenge of it for a while, but Kansas City is entirely too strong. Guys, they are the best team in the NFL. Agreed. Well, if all that plays out and the way this game seems to be playing out and the conspiracy theory and the scripts are all written, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with Tampa Bay (laughs) and the Kansas City Chiefs from Tampa Bay. So keep your fingers crossed. want to say thanks to Ned. Thanks to John. Thanks to Josh. Nick Fury coming up next. Thanks to Corbin Campbell, Scott Meyer, and Mike the Intern. Go Chiefs! 104.7 The Cave.